0: Listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Evocative, visceral, expressive. Composer Ingrid Stutzel has been described as having a gift for melody, evoking a sense of longing, and creating a reflective and serene soundscape that makes you want to curl up on your windowsill and re listen on a rainy day. Her compositions are performed in concert halls and festivals worldwide including the Soul art center merkin concert hall kennedy center the thailand international composition festival festival new music at florida state the beijing modern music festival and sound on festival of modern music her music has been awarded in numerous competitions among them recently the suzanne and lee edelston composers award red note composition competition the robert avalon international competition for composers and the Kaleidoscope Chamber Orchestra Competition. Her portrait album, The Gorgeous Nothings, was released by Nirvana Records in July 2018. Stotzel teaches composition at the University of Kansas. I want to start uh, with your piece, The Gorgeous Nothings, and I believe that this was the piece when when we saw each other at the West Fork uh, New Music Festival. I believe that this was the piece that you were presenting on.
1: That's correct. Yeah, a good memory. Wow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this piece is for flute, oboe, piano, and soprano. How did you arrive at yeah. that instrumentation?
1: Well, I worked with a, a trio, a flute, oboe, piano trio, for quite a while. Um, their name is Allegrès. And they had commissioned pieces of mine before, and um, and then this local soprano Sarah Tannehill, she um, she's worked with them as well. And they're like, we need repertoire, and um, so they've they formed you know this pre existing trio uh, formed together with the soprano, and it's just it really is a need uh, combination. The the three treble really, you know, as you have flute, oboe, and soprano. Um I I had some fun working working with them and and um and they recorded the piece and it was really quite magical.
0: Yeah. I mean, let's let's talk about the text. Yeah. So, where do, where does this text come from?
1: So, you know, I love the libraries and especially public libraries and often when I'm looking for text I and I don't know I I I have something saved that I want to set but I wanted something special and I just went to the Kansas City public library and I was browsing the stacks um and I came across the facsimile edition of Emily Dickinson's envelope fragments and actually the facsimile edition is called the gorgeous nothings and and so they have um you know they have a lot of um, archival little scraps and papers uh, by Emily Dickinson, and photographers have been taking photos of them, and and then um, this Dickinson scholar Marta Werner, uh, she put together this facsimile edition, and it just was gorgeous to look at these uh, fragments, really written on like envelope fra- uh, uh, envelope flaps, and and. Um, Yeah, the back, it just, you know, it it felt like I had access to Emily Dickinson's creative process because, Mm -hmm. you know, I would look at it and she would sometimes write two words, you know, for the same thing, or she would cross one out and put another one above and cross that out and there would be another one. And I really related to that. That's very much how I work as well it's you know every it's sort of this digging for the right thing and so i was immediately inspired through the visuals but also the fragments themselves were um you know they they were not completed poems but they certainly to me had a shape and um and something important to say so that's how it started and and I ended up only taking three of the envelope fragments, and then dug deep deeper into the Emily uh, Dickinson archive. And she also wrote on brown paper bags and the the back of little little scraps of paper. It seemed very urgent, you know, to me looking at this. Is it seemed like the she just couldn't wait to get to uh, her her journal. She just had to write it on whatever she could find and. And this was fascinating to me, and it really inspired me. And the the piece itself, the it's a song cycle of five songs, it came together very quickly. And I, I really um, credit her words. It it just it, it felt like there was already music embedded in them. Right.
0: It's it's interesting that you say it came together quickly. I mean that that kind of mirrors what you know you think her her process was is like oh i give me a pen give me a pen i got to, or give me a pencil i need i need to take this down now and that same sense of urgency it seems like was translated into the composition process
1: absolutely and in when i read uh, those fragments i i felt like there was already a sound world um mm-hmm. that i knew and some of them i said you know, somewhat humoristically, because she had a really great sense of humor, and then others. Um, you know the this idea of you know all the also the soul, and she talked a lot about about. Um, I mean, in many of her poems, it's it's um, she has some deep deep thoughts on life and afterlife. And, and um, yeah, so it, it, it felt like it spanned um, these fragments that I picked. I felt like they belonged together, although they were not, she did not put them together. But I sure. needed something that still made sense uh, as a cycle. And so actually the Dickinson scholars really helped in that respect because of course they analyzed these fragments. I'm not... you know, a scholar when it comes to to Dickinson or poetry at all. Um, But the first song and the last song, um, uh, these scholars had determined were written sort of at a a similar time and they have very similar themes. So, of course, I also played with that, the opening of the cycle and the ending of the cycle sort of having, yeah, um, uh, similar motives and musically and that always helps me in terms of shaping shaping things
0: the the gorgeous nothing seems like such an eastern philosophy you know like th- these are fleeting kind of nothing thoughts that are are beautiful or or made more beautiful by their seeming incompleteness and and yet somehow they're they're entirely complete
1: i know i love how you said that and i think that's um, that's why I was really drawn to them. And also the way they were written on these scraps of papers. You know, I think poets um, often when the the, the the poem is finished, they really think about how many words in one line and, and how to present the poem uh, on um, the piece of paper as well, or the published version. But because she was limited to the shape of whatever scrap of paper she was using, it also sort of changed the way the words were aligned. And and that similarly was inspiring to me. Um, uh, And the way I sort of, some, some of the pieces were very brief because of that, um, and because the way it, it, it just looked to me on the, on the paper. and um, But you're right, I mean, she, there, there is definitely Eastern philosophy, you know, this idea, the third song is paradise is no journey, because it's within, it's, it's very much, you know, this idea of, of um, you know, we keep searching for things outside of ourselves, when really all we need is already is already there. And, and, um, yeah, so I, I felt like, um, I could really, this, this really aligns with some of my, um, uh, you know, spiritual, um, beliefs and, and, um, yeah, I think that really inspired me even more.
0: One thing I wanted to, I, I wanted to say was, you know, your melodic leaps in the vocal line are just wonderful I mean it th- this piece in in certain ways with that respect you know how you will be in a certain area of the voice and then just leap up to to a note um in in a higher register it kind of reminds me of the uh of this Ravel piece um three poems of uh Stephen Mallarmé where he I, I don't know how he does it but he he just leaps to these high notes in the voice and it just kills me because the notes that he chooses are just the perfect note there could be no (laughs) other note choice and your piece really really reminds me of that there were certain moments where i was like oh that's just so good
1: ah well thank you that is a huge compliment coming from you and the comparison to ravel i i love ravel and and melody is is definitely something that um i mean i've i've Called myself a melodist, you know, proudly, um, and it took me a long, long time in my compositional career to really sort of just accept that. Okay, that's that's who I am, and I I did grow up with a singer. Uh, my dad's a singer, and and I think um, there's just yeah, I I there's something about the voice, and funny enough, you know, I I I didn't write for voice for a long time. Uh, And Mm, yeah, yeah. it it was actually the other piece into being that I sent you the choral piece that was sort of coming back to my roots. Partly it was, I grew up with choral music. I grew up with vocal music uh, in my family and I felt like I had to really catch up in terms of instrumental music. And so I focused during my studies, I really, really focused in on instrumental writing i love chamber music and actually the my favorite now is vocal chamber music you know uh, voice plus instrumental ensemble i think there's uh, there's just so much power in that and um but for a long time i didn't write for for voices because it it felt like the thing i knew and i had to really learn these other things um, and so it was kind of a a, a coming a coming home and And uh, I've been really enjoying these last, I guess, five, five or six years writing more vocal music. And um, yeah, I, you know, in terms of melody, I really do have many, many, many versions. And sometimes it just really isn't the right note. And I, I will just work on it until... Um, it feels like it is the right note and I can't explain it why one note will feel like the right note it's just once I once I have it I know it's the right note for me you know yeah I mean, it's yeah, a very absolutely. strange it's a very strange process you know um yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, I
0: mean it's I, I think it's interesting that you know you you grew up with vocal music and then you you had to spend like Maybe not spend some time away from it, but also like you, you knew that. Oh well, I, I see my own like, uh, not deficiencies, but it's like I haven't done this, you know. So I, I need to do this. Like I need to kind of round out myself as a composer. And you, you step away because maybe maybe you know it so well. I think that's that is totally a a theme that has. Uh, cropped up on the on the podcast with other composers you know they uh, like if they're pianists it'll take them a long long time to write a, a a serious piano piece I know for me being uh you know coming up as a percussionist after I stepped away from being a you know music education major where I was playing performing a lot mm-hmm. and, and you know doing percussion all the time once I stepped away from that and like devoted myself to composition fully I didn't like I, I kind of uh, like I was I was during that time I was writing a lot for marimba and then after that I haven't I barely touched it since it's like and, and I, I honestly I don't know if I ever will again It it's it's this thing like you you kind of build you know the the repertoire so well, you know, the instrument so well, it's like, well, well, what do I have to say for this that already hasn't been said? You know, it it can almost like your main instrument is in some ways like how you, how you can understand music. But in other ways, it can also be a huge, like a, a crippling uh, deterrent to you writing seriously for that instrument again i I, i've just run across some other composers that, that have had that same experience where it just takes them a long time to come back to the thing that they approached music through in the very beginning
1: yeah i i think that's very interesting and and although i you know i was never a singer like my dad it's just something that i think you know, was in my ear and I did, you know, sing in choirs and things like that. But um, yeah, I mean, I had it with piano. That was my main instrument as well, where, you know, I would sit down at the piano and what would come is not at all me. And I think for me, coming back to vocal music, it also really had to do with finding my own comfort level in writing melodies, you know, in really Mm -hmm. allowing myself to, to write melodies and, and it sounds silly. It, you know, as I hear myself saying that, why nobody ever, I never had a teacher in the U.S. who said, I can't write melody that, uh, but I think because um, I grew up in Germany and, you know, music that's coming out of Germany is, is not melodic and is not harmonic and tonal. And, and I, I think I had this idea that somehow that you know writing a melody um, just is too simple and in effect yeah I actually now I feel like it's so hard to write a good melody (laughs) it really is you know I like really labor over it um but it was a mental block and and I think I had associated beauty and and melody and all of that with vocal music and um and that's why i shied away i also for a while writing it and now i think as i've embraced most everything in my music is just this is this is what i write i you know it allowed me to really come back and and just really love working with singers and um in this kind of setting there's there's a. There's a power to it. And then also, you know, poetry as a foreigner, you, you know, I've lived in this country a long time, but it, 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 it's still poetry is one of these things that it takes a, a long time in a second language to really, really feel like um, it's it's something I deeply know. And, and I think I shied away setting English for a long time because I felt... Um, not as prepared as I was in German, but I didn't want to set sure. German poetry because I live in America, you know, and I want it's important for me to for audiences to to also really grasp um, the meaning of what I'm doing. And so I think all of that um, now I'm at a place where, you know, I feel like I can I can um, really express something in English. Through music, so that was important as well. And this gorgeous nothings, I, um, I uh, definitely something broke open in that piece for me and uh, my kind of freedom. Um, That's that's why I, you know, it's hard to just send a a few pieces (laughs) for this podcast, but that's why I included it. It's still. It's uh, I have a sweet spot for this piece still, and you know I, I'm sure you do too. I have these love-hate relationships with pieces, and and um, some even popular pieces that I have that I'm like, well, I don't know, you know, I don't know if that's my best piece, <laughs> you know, and then but it gets played yeah. a lot, and and um, it's it's interesting these how oh, and sometimes with older pieces I'm like, oh man. Why can't they play something new? You <laughs> know, so right, yeah. yeah, it's interesting how that works.
0: Yeah, there, there's so, <laughs> there's so many things that you just said that I want that I want to touch on. Um, that I mean, first of all, the the reading poetry and setting it in a language that is not your first language um, is. I mean, I I had a bunch of friends in grad school that were constantly, I mean, they you know, grew up in America, English speakers. I mean, they might speak the language that they're setting, but it's certainly a second language to them. And some of them, I know they didn't, you Mm -hmm. know, and they were just, you know, they were just setting German and French. And I'm like, how are you, (laughs) how, how, how are you able to do this? I mean, so much of, and I think I've figured out why later, but I mean- I, at the time, and even now, I'm still thinking that you know so much of your musical decision should be coming from the text, and you you have to have a really deep understanding of that text to be able to to set it in a in a way that in a way that celebrates and and supports the text, you know, not just using it oh well, i I want to write something for voice, so I need some words, yeah, you know, but but really trying to trying to elevate uh the the tech you know bring the music and the text together and make something that is bigger than the two of them separate as opposed to just you know I need a vehicle for a singer to be on stage you know I I, I think that's I I mean uh, last summer I was I was working on a piece where for the first it was in the the, the majority of the poem was, in English but there was a, a large section in Spanish and i i really hesitated but i loved this po- this poem so much i was like all right i got to bite the bullet and i really really have to and that was the hardest part of the piece for me to set uh-huh. and i worked i worked on that part in Spanish for so long and consulted you know spanish speakers like and what, do, what could can i lo- can i lose this word does this does this word have uh, like where's the stress in, in this sentence? Where's the stress in this word? You know, like I really, really had to do research to feel even halfway comfortable in that. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, it, it it definitely, definitely is a, is a huge challenge. It is. There and were other
1: things... And I yeah, still do that in English because English is so weird. you know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to... I mean, I'm, I'm constantly on dictionary.com, but also I will ask people... Um, you know how because of the In- the American and the British pronunciation, sometimes they're different. And I said sure. this really a funny uh, text by um, Walt, uh, uh, by Walt Whitman, where the word vegetable um is in the in the text and then i even did a little twitter survey you know it's like is it three syllables or or four you know because americans
0: vegetable or is it vegetable Vegetable.
1: exactly yeah and you know and it it depends on where you live you know and it it annoyed me that there's no one answer and that i had to like Make a decision. A decision on that, you know, <laughs> because right. in German yeah. it's just it's just clear. Pronunciation is not a, a mystery in German, you know. It just is, mm-hmm. and and but in English it, there really are, you know, ways. Yeah, there are just often multiple ways of 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 even putting a stress on a word, and I'm like, why? <laughs>
0: yeah absolutely i mean i mean i think i think that can even like you know you were you were saying the difference between uh british english and american english you know i i think that can even change within america i mean there's so many so many accents um is is that like does that change pronunciation in german i mean do do you have like southern and northern accents in germany
1: oh absolutely and and uh you know maybe you've heard of low and high german that's a it's a Uh it's a thing and and i grew up in the south in germany and my parents speak a very heavy dialect it's just that we wouldn't necessarily write it it's just a spoken Uh, a spoken Mm. dialect and there are different words for things. And yeah, it's, it's, it's real in German as well, but in terms of a published poem, you know, it, it would be pronounced in high German. And so there would not. Uh, Yeah. yeah.
0: Right. But, (laughs) but uh, in English there, (laughs) there, there really is. Yeah. Vegetable or vegetable. Uh, (laughs) Oh
1: yeah, God. that's just that's the so except. Exam- <laughs> I know. <laughs> and it's a hard word to set anyway, but you know, um, it, Walt Whitman, he has these lists of things and I just I love he's another poet I really adore and uh, a, American poet and and um but he loves to have these lists of words, you know, and and um yeah, they're often very difficult to set and an interesting challenge. So <laughs>
0: Well, let's let's talk about uh, the fourth movement of the gorgeous nothings. I I love this movement, and there it, the text is just uh, two lines of text at which you kind of play with in repetition. and the the text is the little sentences I begun and never finished, the little wells I dug and never finished. And I just thought it was it was so like y- you're the poem is playing on this. You know th- this comparison between words and and a physical action, but also the actual words that she has used, the "I begun" and "I dug." You, I mean it. I actually had to. I- I'm glad you sent the score because um, I went back as I was listening to it, and I was like, "Wait, what? Huh? How does?" You know, be, because they sat the the words sound so similar, and uh, it, it's just it, it is this little like. Play on words and and it's a kind of a beautiful concept I mean you and you set it in this like kind of little binary form and it's <laughs> it seems that the motive that you are kind of spinning out in the first half the melody for the the little sentences I begun um, gets inverted but kind of not quite with the little wells I dug I mean was that Can you you just talk about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, this one actually, um, uh, first of all, it, it was written on this really narrow little piece of scrap paper. And so, you know, the way it looked on the paper also, is like she just managed to put like one word or two words, two short words on this narrow piece of paper. But then it was a long... Um, so she used the top part of the paper and then there was a lot of empty space on the bottom of this little strip of long paper. And that to me also like really made it feel un- unfinished. Um, you know, it, it, there was something about still having all this space and not finishing that thought. So that was one thing. And then I loved the idea of the little, it, it being... There's two sentences, right? The little sentences I begun and never finished, and then the little wells I dug and never filled. And the, like, why would you dig a well and not f- fill it? You know that kind of. There was these contradictions in it. So what I did in the in the first uh, the, the first part, the little sentences I begun and never finished, is that the little became this this motive, but the space in between would would get shorter by an eighth note each time i would i would repeat it so that when we get to the punchline and never finished it almost feels like this cadential arrival
0: yeah and then yeah and it, it absolutely did yeah
1: Yeah. and and the, the you know the the players it's all in unison it's basically unison and octaves so in this first statement everybody is playing the same thing and singing the same thing um so then, there's a power, of course. You know, I've set up this expectation that the second part will be very similar, and um, and when expectations are set up, as you know, as a composer, there's a great power in not doing exactly what's what's uh, what one might expect. So I start the second part very similar with the little, but. But then immediately there is a counterpoint between the singer and the and the instruments, so that's different. Mm-hmm. And then also, it's it now like you said it's inverted. And I was thinking of you know a simple sort of you're digging. It's a more downward motion than right. Um, yeah, right. and and then also it, you know it it finishes never filled to me. It was the fourth song, so I still have the fifth song to finish this, the cycle. So to me, it kind of just is. uh, The piece has an ending, but not really. Like it just kind of hangs there, much like I thought the her words were on the piece of paper. Like there's space afterward that you could fill some things in, and so all those things were very important to me. And and um, and when you write sort of predictable music, it's very repetitive. But at the same time, because of the, the, the space between things changing, it is also not predictable. Um, so it feels, yeah, it's, it's finding always that way of, of keeping a listener engaged and, and um, especially when I'm using sort of re- repetitive patterns.
0: Yeah, I mean, this, that type of writing, I think, is for me, some of the most fun types of, of writing to do where it's just like okay I've got I've got this material and I'm just gonna play with it and it's it's literally just that that's all it is just playing with it like how can I like how can I change the how can I change the stress of the you know put it put it on a different beat put it on an upbeat instead of a downbeat you know yeah change the change the amount of rest between repetition that that is that's like right up my alley I think I think it's so fun to 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 write music in in that particular way so uh let's go uh, ahead
1: yeah and i just want to say and and it also i think allowed me because i knew this was going to be playful you know the word the in english you know is about my least favorite word in the world because it's so hard to set right the it's yeah is. And you don't really, you know, in normal, in normal world, I wouldn't give it any emphasis, right? But there was something about this, um, the way she wrote the first words, it was like, the, little, it had so much, like, to me, the the emphasis, like, looking at her handwriting, the emphasis on the word, the little, and the little, well, the little sentence, the, the was became very important and so i accented it which is very much something you know i would tell my students writing for voice don't don't give (laughs) the (laughs) the emphasis right but i'm doing all these things in this piece that is very playful in many ways you know and and sort of and even splitting worlds words that shouldn't be you know we don't hear the full sentence um, you know I I split begun to just but and then she starts over and and so it, it yeah it was very very playful and I allowed myself to have fun with the words
0: that's that's really do you ever have these uh these moments where you know you kind of either you say a word so many times in a row or you look at a word and all of a sudden it's like wait, I've, I've been ignoring that for so long. It almost takes like, I, I, I've just had so many moments of that in my life where it's like, wait, what does this word mean? (laughs) How do I spell it? What, what, how have I not noticed this in, 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 you know, it's, it's one of those things that you take for granted. Then when you focus on it, you're like, wait, the, the, you, I'm, I'm really thinking this long about the word the, like, <laughs> that's it, it, a really interesting uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, moment. Anyway, let's, uh, let's listen to this piece now. So who are we going to hear on this recording?
1: So the soprano, the soprano is a Sarah Tannehill Anderson. And uh, she's uh, a Kansas City soprano, just uh, has done amazing work. And then the, the uh, trio, the flute oboe piano trio is the Allegres trio.
0: Awesome. So let's listen to it now. This is The Gorgeous Nothings.
2: In this short life The little was I dug. The little was I dug. The little was the little I dug. The little was I dug. The little was the little I dug. The little I dug. The little was the little I dug. And never. Thank you.
0: let's uh let's talk about uh, another piece of yours, the voice of the rain. and this is for flute, cello and percussion who's playing marimba and vibraphone.
1: That's correct. Um,
0: yeah. This piece also comes from a poetic place, even though there isn't a singer, and we as the listeners wouldn't necessarily be privy to the poem unless we I, I imagine you would include it in the program notes. Um, but this, uh, it's based on a poem, The Voice of the Rain by Walt Whitman. How do, how does this poem inform your piece?
1: Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's, it definitely informed the piece formally and also to me emotionally. This is, I already mentioned that Walt Whitman is one of my uh, favorite other American poets and, there was just something about this, and I should mention the the project that this piece was written for. It was also uh, very special, and um, we did a workshop, a composition workshop at a, a Kansas bris- prison. Um, and as part of that composition workshop, uh, we I would write a new piece to kind of. Um, show how we might put together a a piece of music and we worked with um, 10 prisoners um, uh, to write a new composition and and so this I wanted to um, find a piece that um, I could model some things on in terms of formally how one might take words but not use the words um but for emotional inspiration and things like that but also i i really struggled with what kind of piece would i write for you know um an incarcerated audience and you know i i wanted something hopeful and i wanted something um beautiful and life affirming because I, and not that I know, but I imagine that when you're in a situation like that, when you have no freedom, that you know, I think a little beauty maybe can brighten the day. That's at least how I imagined it. So, so I I was looking for poetry for this instrumental piece so that I would have a, a way to communicate with the inmates about music, but have words. Because they they knew how to play instruments, but they didn't really know notation and things like that. Mm-hmm. So the poem actually um, was a really great starter. And um, we actually improvised. Before I even played, before the musicians played my piece, we talked about how does rain sound, how does... You know how would like love sound, and we would improvise as a group of musicians, and it was really it was such a great icebreaker. And then they started sharing about their emotions, and and then I have to tell you the the performance of this piece in the prison, uh, you know the the inmates, you know they're not on, they don't have phones, they don't they don't have no distractions, they don't get a lot sure. of they don't get a lot of attention or or anything in their lives and and their reaction and the way they shared what they experienced with the music i it, it was really uh, i have if you could see me right now i have goosebumps because it was it was just you know i didn't in that moment we were just all human beings creating together being in music and letting music do what music do, does best, which is, I think music heals, I think music connects. Um, and it was truly an amazing experience. And I, the poem became sort of this, um, yeah, it became a, a, a tool for me to, to connect with the, with the inmates and then create with them. Um, so it was, it was quite special. I think the poem is, is special.
0: Yeah, that's that's wow. That's a really powerful experience to uh, to go through and uh, and to have to have this piece kind of come out of it. And I imagine, you know, realistically, all the senses are uh, capable of, you know, producing uh, or inciting memory for you. But I imagine that when you listen to this piece back, you know, you have a kind of a flood of all those memories from work from working with uh from working with the inmates
1: it i i do and it was really truly and and my colleagues uh who play on this recording and were with me in in the prison i'll just mention them because they're amazing sarah Friesov was the flutist and hannah collins was the cellist and mike Compitello percussion i think if you talk to any of us uh, we would say this was a truly life-changing experience um and and also um really affirming life-affirming uh experience to be able to create uh music in that kind of environment and 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 bring um you know some beauty into their lives and and um yeah and it it felt different than just playing for them. We were creating with them. We were there yeah. and and you know this is a male this is a, a you know a, a, a prison with all male inmates and and you know I I didn't know if I would feel safe or or how this would feel, you know? It was just uh, until we were there and and we realized that all they wanted to do is share music and share their experiences and share their love for music and I not once talked to any of the inmates about why they are in there you know some had been are in there for life and and it just was never about that it was just about um the the connection and and how music can really you know, bring people together. And if you saw, you know, also the, there is a huge, you know, there are some people that would, their favorite music was country, you know, and, or rock. And then there, we had some rappers and we had, um, you know, some people that wrote hip hop and, and, and then we had a, a violinist, you know, who could play the violin and, and it, you know, even in those different styles of music and backgrounds, they would bring, you know, we were a band. We were an ensemble. We were a team, you know, and it didn't matter who was on the inside and the outside. It was, it was really uh, magical. Uh, Yeah. Yeah.
0: You were, you were saying that you were, you were talking with them, you know, how does the rain sound and how could, how could you kind of produce that um, produce sounds like that on your instrument? And I mean, that's how, Uh, After a after a flute solo in the beginning of this piece, you kind of move into this section that has kind of creates the feeling of rain with kind of short punctuated notes and motives, and it I mean it definitely falls into a rhythmic grid, but still has that kind of off kilter feeling of rain uh, when it when it's just starting. I mean, when I was listening to that, I was thinking, wow, you know, that's really detailed work that you're. That you're doing there to create that sense of uh, being on the grid, but still sounding kind of off of it. And I, I was I was going to ask like, how are how are you in that part of the composing process when you when you're doing that kind of like nitty gritty little detail work to express an idea, but it but the idea is larger than you know just the just the notes in the measure you know the the idea has to span you know a minute or so and it is made up of all these little moments and all those little moments had to be composed <laughs> so I'm I'm kind of like
1: yeah.
0: yeah What what's that part of the process like for you like just d- digging in and doing those little moments
1: yeah I, it was such a great question and it's a hard one to answer um you know, I think if I speak for this moment that you're talking about, I, you know, it's funny when I asked the inmates to make rain sounds, they made very, very similar sounds to what I did uh, in my piece. And so that was really, um, that was really awesome. I think um, in the poem also, there's a lot of motion um, and a lot of music that I felt was already in there. So there's things. So I, when the poem starts, you know, I am the poem of the earth, said the voice of the rain, eternal I rise. Uh, so that was something I was like, OK, so I rise uh, upward to heaven and then vaguely formed altogether changed, And yet the same, I said, well, that's variation, you know, right? It's they, you know, upward to heaven is is an upward motion. And then um Altogether change, but yet the same is uh, is is to me is kind of a variation form and and so I had already so many you know ideas I had the motion so that moment that you're talking about that minute of music really the flute steps up keeps stepping up uh, even though there's it's um, and the long the longer note values that the flute keeps getting is always a little bit higher than the one prior and. And so I think I had these markers of things that I wanted to accomplish. And also this idea of evaporation, right? The rain evaporates and, mm, and the, yeah. and to me that it's the breaking of the structure. Like it, it's not a painless change is not painless as we know, uh, in life and, and, Yet you know it's change is so important for the the cycle of life and and so I think Walt Whitman here really also playing with that 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 you know in order you know for this cycle of life to happen you know it, you also like the breaking of the the molecules you know of the drop of water into you know evaporation is an intense. To me, it was an intense experience. So I also knew I wanted that to keep growing in intensity until, you know, um, it that cycle is completed, and it then again comes down and and forever. You know that he has such lovely, lovely words. This and forever by day and night, I give back life to my own origin and make pure and beautify it. And then I was thinking pure and beautify. To me, it was like this minor-ish, all this minor sounding, like suddenly be lifted and all became, you know, in just very simple terms, I was like, I'm gonna just augment, everything is gonna rise, you know, and a minor third would become a major third and and things like that. And and um, and then the thing that I think I struggled the most with in this piece um, was the very ending proportionally, I knew it was way too long. You know, I feel like, you know, like it was one of these things yeah. where if it had been one of my students, I would have said, wow, you know, you're this is the last two, two, two lines of the poem for song issuing from its birthplace after fulfillment, wandering, wrecked or unwrecked, duly with love returns. Which to me, you know, is like, as an artist, this is what really spoke to me as a, a, a composer. It's like, we, we put these things out there and they, you know, come from the inside of us and they go out there and sometimes they're being recognized, sometimes they're not. But there is always this cyclical return. We do get love back and we do, you know, it is this cyclical thing we do as artists. And I was so moved by, by this ending of this poem and it's in parentheses too that i i i was a little self indulgent and and i feel like and maybe the listeners will feel like wow this ending you know these the, it you have the cello on the lowest your know, strings and i and and i just really wanted to live in that place of love and and this love returning and so i i stayed there a little longer than than i would probably naturally do proportionally because form is very important to me um but yeah yeah i'm just so i'm just curious did you did you have that experience as you listened to it in, uh, at, at the end like
0: that that was that that was like pr- proportionally out of uh uh well out of proportion out of propo- <laughs> uh, i don't know yeah <laughs> proportionally out of proportion um no absolutely okay. not interesting okay. yeah um I thought, I thought the piece kind of, kind of flowed nicely. I mean, it has basically like three kind of large sections. And as I was reading the poem and then listening to it at the same time, I could, I could guess that you were using the poetry to inform the, the structure of the piece, but no, I never thought it was, it was out of proportion or anything.
1: Uh, it, yeah. yeah, I, I mean, that's, I think it works really well. I'm I'm happy to hear that. It's to me, I think sometimes, um, you know, especially being in a beautiful sound, um, you know, that's just really, um, you know, there's not a lot going on at the very end, and and it's about I think two minutes, you know, and it's the whole mm-hmm. piece is only seven minutes, you know, um, it it you know it takes some, I guess. Letting go and just, um, you know, I, yeah, I think sometimes simple and quiet and slow um, can still be um, scary to me. Like staying there too long, you know, like I don't want to, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, just one of my own personal sort of challenges is, is, um, is allowing something to really, you know, just be and get out of the, for me to get out of the way of the right. music you know and not... yeah
0: absolutely and I think and I think one of the things it did was you know the the be, the only other real moment of kind of repose in the piece is right at the beginning and at that point you don't know what's coming at you as a listener you know it's it's it's, it's Expository. You're you're waiting for something to happen. So then you kind of go into the rain section, and then you go into the section with the vibraphone, where it's like it's it's kind of textural. It's it's melodic and it's also textural at the same time. It's it, it was something that I thought was uh very interesting. That you know, in that particular section, you you don't really have a melody that is a through line throughout that section but you never have a place that is non-melodic either. <laughs> yeah. So it's like your your texture is melodic and your melody is textural in a way. It was it was just really interesting, but the 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 end I think is the is the part where we kind of can like you say can kind of live in the sound and I appreciated the fact that you know since you were following the poetry it produced a non kind of standard musical form in Yeah, a way. you know like you you kind of start with this uh kind of frenetic rain sound and then go into this more uh w- with the vibraphone it's it's kind of a more blurry But still, you know, it's moving, Mm -hmm. um, uh, moving rhythmically, and then you you just allow us to kind of sit on this bed of of cello open strings, and have and have the flute, you know, do do beautiful things over it, and it creates this more organic form as opposed to just you know sticking the material into some sort of cookie cutter uh, cookie cutter formula. So yeah, I, th- I I really I really appreciated that. Um, well, let's uh, let's listen to it now. I think you I think you already mentioned the names of the performers we're gonna hear, but if you could uh, if you could say them again, that'd be great.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We're gonna hear Sarah Frisoff on flute, Hannah Collins on cello, and Mike Compitello on percussion.
0: Great. So this is the voice of the rain. We've uh, we've talked about text with each each of these pieces, and now we have your last piece. You you mentioned it before. This piece is called "Into Being," and it's for SATB uh, choir. and uh, and we've talked about text with the other two pieces, and yet, out of the three, this has the shortest text.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I know. so wh- what, is,
0: what is the text, where did it come from, and what does it mean?
1: Uh, it, the, I know it's so funny that the choral piece of all right? lo- vocal pieces only has really four forwards. So ham hum, sa, which is, is um, a... a a mantra it's usually translated sort of who am I I am that or uh, like that but it's it's considered the universal breath mantra and and when I got this commission um, you know I was really thinking a lot about breath and my I, I have my own meditation practice and, and things like that and maybe people would know so ham also if they're doing a yoga practice, um, so hum being sort of the inhale and hamsa being the exhale, and um, in this this particular piece, I think I, I chose to send this to you. Um, I you know I think I still I uh, vocal chamber music and then instrumental chamber music and and choral music have become just in the last few years incredibly important to me and I thought. All of these sort of, they sound like me, but also have a very, have, have, um, you know, show these three different, um, uh, ensemble styles. And, and this particular one, um, you know, I, I just, I really try to just capture also emotionally the idea of an ensemble, um, expressing breath and and breath being this again there's this cyclical idea you know breath is the first thing we do (laughs) and when we enter in this world and it's also the last you know we talk about our the last breath and and there's and all those things in between um uh with life and it, it just felt like something i could express with a a choir um and um, I don't think it's a typical choral piece I I don't know I'm still trying to figure out even though I grew up with choirs. Um, I think I write differently for choir than maybe the the you know what's out there a lot I don't know um, but uh, it's sometimes it's although it sounds very simple, um, it's rhythmically quite challenging this piece and and um, it, um, it's, it really asks a lot of a, of a choir, I think, of an a cappella yeah. choir,
0: yeah. Right, right, right. I mean, were there, were there compositional challenges with working with so little text? Or, I mean, do you kind of forget that the text is there? Or were you kind of working to contextualize and then recontextualize the text with maybe the harmonic choices you made?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, it's, that's a really great question. I, you know, I think there are, I was, as a model, not as a, you know, not musically, but as a, as a text model, you know, in sacred music, you do have composers setting Gloria or Hallelujah or something like that. Just sure. one, there's something special about like one, one sort of mantra or one prayer and and what happens to me in terms of my own meditation practice, and I think something that I wanted to, perhaps, um, you know, instill in this piece is the the, uh, the the when you when you almost forget about the words and when you almost are just in the breath itself, right? When the breath becomes um, just. Uh, part of your centering there is such an incredible peace that i don't experience you know you know all the time if i'm uh, but sometimes this really deep peace and and centeredness comes from um from doing a a a mantra or or a a meditative practice and you know i kept imagining this choir there is something special about you know, choral music because people breathe together and people you know make one sound. Yes, we think of the sopranos and the altos and the tenors and the basses, but really the the composite sound is the the sound that that moves us as an audience member. And and I think for me it was about especially toward the end of the piece of getting to a very, very you know peaceful peaceful place centered place um that perhaps if an audience member were to experience this in a maybe live setting especially there would be a sense of calm and and um yeah so yeah, yeah i mean
0: i i read your i read your program notes that we take on average uh, 17000 <laughs> breaths in a day Um, I didn't, I didn't realize that number was so high, but so I had to, that, that prompted, I had to Google the average number of days that a person lives. Oh my God. And and the, the average human lives about 27,375 days in a lifetime, in an an average lifetime. Wow. So if you multiply (laughs) breaths by days, we take... Uh, four hundred and sixty-five million, three hundred and seventy-five thousand breaths in our life, and the vast majority go completely unnoticed, unless you like like what you were saying. Unless you actually, unless you have a meditation practice, or if you're exercising, or if you're playing a musical instrument. Yeah, I mean those are the those are the times when you know you you are really conscious of your breath and and how it is controlling every you know in in a sense controlling every action you make and yet it is so out of the way from our conscious uh our conscious mind that we can take over oh, you know almost 5 million Five hundred million <laughs> breaths in a lifetime, and not, and and maybe be aware of, you know, <laughs> a thousand or yeah. something like that. You know,
1: and I think that's why the breath is so powerful. It's being used. I mean, think about a performers going on stage and calming nerves, and you know, it is such a tool to get us out of our constant obsessing of the future or the past and really right. the breath has such is such a powerful thing to get us into the now because there's no way you know if we're paying attention to our breath that we cannot be in the now um, and and I think that's that's where the true power is and I I use it you not know, just I, I try to use it during the day to bring myself back even in the creative process you know I you know, you're a composer and it's not always easy, right? Like, you know, you can get, no. you can get stuck, you can, you know, you know, overthink it and you, you know, you just don't know and it gets frustrating. And I, when I remind myself, you know, the, of in that moment to just breathe and, and be in the now, it's amazing the kinds of things that just open up naturally because I'm not worried about, is this good enough? Is this, you know, yeah. Or, you know, am, am, I'm not in the past worried about having failed or, you know, those kinds of things that can really create doubt and, and, and anxiety in a creative person, in anybody. But I think creative types, we tend to really, you know, uh, uh, da- yeah, we, da- we focus. Yeah, doubt can really creep in. And I, I find yeah. that if I if it creeps in and I just let myself um, breathe it 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 really helps me come back into the now um of the creative yeah. process yeah
0: yeah i um i actually do a very similar thing because there um especially when i was uh in my last year of teaching in china and and the first year of coming back to coming back to the states to start this job there was there was just a lot of anxiety and um, just a lot of external things going on on a daily basis when I knew I should be composing, and um, I I reached out to one of my former professors because uh, one once I had uh, seen him at a uh, it was before a concert and he was in the he was in the concert space by himself and he was just sitting with his eyes closed and was breathing and was was meditating at the time and and I was like okay well you obviously you can guide me a little bit because this is how I'm feeling right now and it's just like I can't write you know I go I go to sit down to write and I have 50,000 other things like invading and I can't focus and and he just gave me some kind of simple like this is you know this is what I do you can read you can go and read about it here and i've like you i use it uh sometimes if i'm especially you know kind of manic on that particular day um i'll it, i'll sit for 20 or 30 minutes before i even have any plans to start writing and uh just focus on breath focus on focus on being present and I, it was some like it was an interesting thought that just occurred like if you are thinking about breath, there is no way you can be in the past or the future. We don't worry about our future breaths. That's we don't right. worry about <laughs> our past breath. Yeah. A breath is, is is, in its essence, is only taken in the now. That's and right. That, that, that's yeah. That's uh, that's that's really interesting. And it's power.
1: Um, it's powerful. And I think. You know, honestly, I think it makes us better teachers to remind ourselves of this, like before we teach, and and I I find it's it's helpful in my creative process, but also just in support of other people's creative process. You know, um, is to not, um, yeah, to just be in the now, to be present, to yeah. be to be listening.
0: Right, right. Well, let's uh, let's listen to it. And uh, who, who is the choir that's on this recording?
1: Yeah, so this uh, is a recording by Korikos. They're uh, in New York City, and um, that's a recent recording um, that they just did.
0: Awesome. So this is Into Being. So,
2: so... Come. Um.
0: Cool. You know, before we go before we go to the last uh, question, I, I just I, I, I was going to say this and then then, you know, we we went somewhere else. Um, but uh, when we were talking about your uh, your second piece, the um, uh, the voice of the rain, you said something that I thought was really it was, it was very profound. It was very simple, but it was very profound, and I I just didn't want to let it go by without without talking about it a little more. You said that change is not painless. Yes. That, I, that that's I I don't know. That's such a simple statement, but it's so very profound, and it's uh you know, just like just like what we were just talking about with uh, into being you know being present and being in the now. I think re- remembering that. Because I, I think that uh, in, you know, in our current culture, um, you know, everything's moving at, at a rapid pace and we just expect, uh, oh, well, things are going to change, you know. Mm-hmm. But I also, I, I think that a big portion of the population is actively seeking to avoid pain in at all stages of life and i'm and i'm like you know the reason you know how to ride a bike is because you fell off and that hurt you know yeah like cha- and you, you have
1: kids to, you know
0: <laughs> oh god yeah. Like, yeah like when when they have those opportunities you know as a parent it's it's difficult to to let them uh go into the situation as the parent knows, like you're going to hurt yourself. I I know this is coming (laughs) and you, you, you stand far enough away that it won't get too serious, but they will learn from it and, and thus change from it. And I, I I don't know that it just, it just struck me as something that we could all remember a little bit, a little bit more. You know that if we expect something to change, it's it's probably going to hurt, but it's probably going to be for the best.
1: Yeah, I think, and you know, I I think the way um, I read a, I, I read a lot about science and the science of expectation and 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 the I love reading about the brain and 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 all of that and there we have so many studies now, you know about the way we yeah or you know instinctively actually you know our brain is trying our our it's trying to keep us in the status quo, like if it worked today, uh it will work tomorrow, hence we will not die, and so we actually right. have to actively seek out change and seek out you know um because we will stay in painful situations, let's say or or in like okay situation because um uh, you know just from our from our evolutionary standpoint it's better than dying. It's a
0: defense it, mechanism yeah
1: it's better than dying so you know so if it works today it's best to just keep it going and i think that's why so many people get get stuck and and um uh, and it's an, it's a more act of change, even though we know life is impermanent and, and we're constantly changing. you know the choices that we make, you know the the choices that will will uh, create change, those are the ones that we sometimes have to go through, you know, something that you know, on the other side, we don't know what's going to be on the other side of this new choice that we made. When you moved, you know, to China or back to the U.S. Right. That, that took a lot of, okay, I don't know what this is going to be, but, you know, this is what we need as a family or this is what I yeah. need as a creative person. It was similar for me also, like changing countries and, and coming sure. with like two suitcases, you, know? Um, <laughs> I, you don't know. I did not know what my life would look like Uh, And there's a, there's a, there's pain, you know, you leave something behind, there will be, there is pain and there's also excitement about the new and, but I think um, a lot of, you know, we have to make more conscious choices of, you know, for change, you know, um, uh, to really truly happen in a way that we desire versus just the change that happens without our control. That will happen as well. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So, well,
0: well, speaking of, speaking of choices that, that you had to make, I mean, let's, let's get to the last question that, uh, that I ask all the composers and artists that come on the podcast, how did you come to music as something that you wanted to pursue for your life?
1: Um, you know, I've, I've, I've thought about this over the years and, and really when I moved to the States, um, uh, I was going to study music theory (laughs) and that's actually, I did have my undergrad is in music theory and with an emphasis in, you know, composition, but, um, because I honestly didn't think, you know, composition could be, I just thought I need a real subject like music theory or musicology. And then composing would be like my hobby. And, and, and part of it was, I really did grow up with zero role models. I did not know a woman composer in my life, even though my, my, my father was a musician. He was a traditionalist. He really only sang dead dead composers. And and so I just really didn't know. And it wasn't until I actually was in the United States and I met in my first, either first year or second year um, of undergrad, I met Joan Tower and she just blew my mind. And an incredible human being, composer, and generous person. And, and I just, I she doesn't know this I'm sure but she changed my life you know because I she was such a great role model and was um you know uh, in Kansas City at the time to have an orchestral performance and I remember yeah I was this little you know little undergrad and I was in the I came early to the concert and I was in the audience and she came out you know and she said hi to me and I remember that in like I was you know, it's because she remembered me from the master class. Now thinking back, probably because I was the only woman in the in the master class, you know. But I didn't, you know, at the time. I, I yeah, I was just so thrilled that that um, uh, she remembered me, and and it made a huge impact. And and I started taking composing seriously, and uh, so it happened. During my under, undergrad, even though as a I started writing music when I was very young, um, but I just didn't take it seriously. It was like, oh, it's something I, did, I do, yeah. So, Joan Tower, awesome human being, <laughs> still writing, still composing, love it.
0: So. <laughs> Have you you said that she she doesn't that Joan Tower doesn't know that. But, um, you know, if you ever have the opportunity to tell her, you should tell her, like you should, you should tell her that she, she changed her life. Like I was, I was at, um, I was at the, uh, the Toronto electroacoustic international symposium and the guest, you know, the, the keynote speaker was, uh, Pauline Oliveros. Oh, and, um, this is obviously before she died. And uh she was she was she had just finished her keynote and I was standing uh with Elaine Lilios uh-huh. and and I was telling Eleni that, you know, my piece that was on the uh, the festival, it was really directly inspired by Pauline Oliveros and and how like Pauline's writings and and music had just been this huge like eye opening experience to me while it was while I was in my doctorate and uh and I just you know I think she's amazing or she was amazing um and Eleni was like why don't you go tell her <laughs> just, just walk up to her and tell her yeah. and I was like okay I will and and I did and you know she I had met her once before she came she came to Rice where I did my doctorate and she she was a guest and we had um we had her there for a concert and lecture and the composers had learned her uh early choral piece called uh sound patterns which oh is like, it's
1: amazing you,
0: yeah yeah you know we, we, I don't think we did it very well but you know it was more of a gesture than anything yeah <laughs> um and uh that but, was written before yeah.
1: Ligeti you know this yeah. yeah yeah she was way ahead that was like s-
0: 60 or something or 61 yeah, or one,
1: yeah say, in that
0: in that area but yeah. but yeah like i if you ever you know if you ever run into joan tower again
1: i you know and <laughs> i know i i you know as we get older i think our mentors and our you know it just becomes more evident who were the people that influenced us. And she was never my teacher. I had, you know, master classes and I was at festivals with her, but she was never one of my primary teachers. But but yeah, I you know it's it's she certainly she, a profound influence. He, that's right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Awesome. So uh before we go, can you tell people where they can find more of your music or where they could connect with you online?
1: Absolutely. So I have a website and it's my first name, last dot com, And I'm also on SoundCloud and I make a lot of things available there to listen. And and um, yeah, I'm always available if people want to contact me about music and um, happy to respond. I'm sure as all composers are.
0: <laughs> right, right. And you're on Twitter as well. I'm on Twitter
1: as well. And and I teach at the University of Kansas so people can find me there. Yeah, I'm very reachable.
0: (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for doing this, Ingrid.
1: Thank you. This was fun.
0: Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com. Gracias.